Yes, but this storm has thrown a wrinkle in uh, the rest of the week. So it's been a bit of a fire drill this morning trying to move things around and get scheduling changes. And people are canceling events and moving events and adjusting schedules. It's been a lot this morning already. It's actually supposed to be in Palm Beach today. I bought my train ticket. I was heading up to see um, a potential client who's in from out of town. And obviously their plans got changed. And uh Sure. Here we are wishing everybody, you know, buckle down, stay safe, do what you need to do. This is the power of work from home because work doesn't stop. You just do it from a different place. So uh, should be cool. We have a great, great show. I'm super, super excited when we're able to bring a guest on. You just recently connected with uh, Nancy Stelway as well, correct? I did. Yeah. I knew she was coming on the show and, I knew that she was in and around the community, so I thought better reach out and uh, make sure that we're connected and get to know her for a minute before we had her on as a guest on the show. So I'm excited about it. So doing the research, man, thank you. That is part of the process. When you meet people, find out about who they are, what they do. So I was fortunate to meet Nancy through LinkedIn. She's the executive director at uh, Take Stock and Children up in Palm Beach, uh, lots of great things happening with her. So not only is she a Gator, uh, she's a tremendous leader. She's a runner. We're going to hear all about it. Let's get to some wake-up music. She has her own walk-up music, and then we'll hear from Nancy Stella. So of all the things I learned about Nancy, she's just a tremendous competitor. She leads with integrity, compassion, empathy, all the things we talk about in reading about her. She spends time getting to know her people personally. So I was excited to pick the walk-up music for her. Shay, give me Bachman Turner Overdrive.
Love it. Well, the reason why I picked that song is not only is she great at what she's doing, she wants to get better. How much better does she want to get, Mark? She wants to get 1% better every day. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Nancy Stellway. Good morning. Good morning, Thank Nancy. You for thanks for, yeah, thanks for being with us. It's great to have you here. So um, what, why don't you do the audience a favor and tell who is Nancy Stellway? Nancy Stellway is an executive director of a nonprofit organization that is helping low-income kids break the cycle of poverty through education. I am a fitness fanatic and want to help people improve their lives. And um, I am a professional or a personal development junkie as well. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, you put all that together and I'm just a big ball of energy. Yes, you are inc incredible. So give us a little backdrop as to what a day in the life of Nancy Stellway is. The alarm goes off at 5 a.m. The feet hit the floor and most mornings I'm stumbling to the kitchen to get a little pre-workout in so that I can be in front of the television by about 5.15, 5.20. And I get my workout in, and then I'm very, very consistent about my daily reading. And then I hop in the shower, get to work, have meetings all day. Um, and then I try to come home and most days get a second workout in. Um, I recently completed 75 hard. And so um, I don't, I really don't want to end. It's been such a great process and a great learning experience. Uh, Mark, any questions? Yeah, what are you reading? You said so you're, right you're consistent now I'm reading, with your reading. Yes. Yeah, so when this journey started, I, it actually started during COVID. I had been working out, but my discipline really kicked in during COVID. So I started with Robin Sharma's 5 a.m. club. Um, I've read <laughs> Tim Grover's The Winning. Um, I'm currently reading now The Power of um, Self-Discipline. I've read 75 Hard Book, but I have a whole... Um, yesterday I got to go down and meet Grant Cardone after I read the 10 X rule. So awesome. every now and then I'll, I'll get a book that really doesn't spark, but for the most part, I've learned something new from each and every one of them. So, yeah. So you'd say that there's always at least one nugget that comes out of the book, regardless of what you do with the rest of it. There's more Robin Sharma that obviously I would suggest, which is the Saint, the surfer and the CEO. So add that Ooh. to your list of, if you like the 5 a.m. club, if you liked Robin, then absolutely you will like the Saint the Surfer, the CEO. My dad gave that to me early in my coaching career, and uh, it was definitely a book that I placed at the focal point of my philosophy moving forward. Well, just the fact that you know who Robin Sharma is, you know, is a statement. Like when I heard that from you, but I found Robin Sharma early in my career. His story is great. He was an attorney and just didn't love being an attorney and said he had more to give the world and morphed his life into giving this amazing content. And the books that he writes um, are very different than most books. You got to, when you get in, like the Saint the Surfer and the CEO, the, it's it's morals that you got to pull out of the book. You got to mm. read the story and go, yeah. mm, okay, I got it. It's not just throwing you fastballs. And so his 5 a.m. club came much later after, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, that, that book, but I gave it, I read it and it was like one of those books that I knew I was reading something special, gave it to Mark and it instantly became his. So one of the favorites. Great for you for reading. Uh, tell us about your early career. How'd you get to be the executive director at Take Stop? I was actually a stay-at-home mom, and my hun- my husband was mentoring for Take Stock and Children, and he would come home every day and share his stories. And I was making photocopies at my kids' school, and I just, although I was helping the teacher, I wasn't really making an impact in the community. And so I became a mentor with Take Stock and Children, and um, my mentee had, had just come from Cuba, and she taught me to text because my kids were little at the time, so... Um, I mentored Paula for six years and I loved what the mission of Take Stock and Children stood for. So when I was asked to take a part-time position, I jumped at the opportunity and we went through some leadership changes. And about 10 years ago, I became the executive director and um, we've transformed our program considerably. And I have the absolute best team working with me. And I really credit the success of our organization to the team that we've put together. So can you tell us a little bit more about what it means to be fighting poverty through education? Can you take us through some of the nuances of the program and how it really works? Sure. So we recruit students um, in grades six through nine, and they're all low-income students. 90% of them will be first-generation college students. And the whole goal is to tell that student very early on, here's a college scholarship. You are going to college. We're now going to provide you with a mentor who will meet with you every week. We're going to provide you college readiness. We're going to provide you SAT, 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 ACT help, social emotional workshops. We're going to do everything we can to make sure you not only graduate high school, but that you go on and get some sort of a post-secondary credential. And what we've really noticed from the pandemic is there's been a shift in our kids. And we are now having to re-examine how we meet kids where they're at. They're very disengaged from the pandemic. And so we've really had to change our approach um, and how to get their interest. You know, they're glued to the computers and the cell phones, and we've got to get that one-on-one, you know, interaction and connection back with them. But we, um, you know, so 98- I'm interested when you say that, because, I, you know, you say they're glued to the computers, they're glued to the screens. Is it about pulling them away from that and trying to get them to conform to, hey, in person and that's the way it has to be? Or have you tried to create some kind of hybrid where you can meet them where they are in those screens to get them out of the screens? Absolutely. So our state office during COVID developed a mentor um, app where the mentors can actually go on this app and mentor them virtually. So right now we do have a hybrid where the mentors can either go into the school or they can use the app. What we're finding is um, engagement when it comes to searching out those opportunities to make themselves better, coming to workshops taking advantage of all the resources that we're offering them. That's where we're really seeing the disengagement. Mm -hmm. um, And that's where we're really um, working to change our method of delivery. I love that. 
Uh, Mark, that. just, you know, Greg Goldstein, who is a huddler from way back, is involved in Take Stock. He is yep. a mentor. I'm exploring that to fit into my schedule somehow. But uh, I want to switch gears for a second and talk about the upcoming event that you have. All organizations like yours are either funded by, you know, people on the outside or help to create awareness. So talk to us about Stock the Sellers. So this will be our second Stock the Sellers on November 19th. It's at a private um, waterfront home in West Palm Beach on the Intercoastal. And we have the Master Sommelier Virginia Phillip from the Breakers, who has procured 28 very unique lots of wine for our live auction. We're also going to have about 38 lots in our silent auction. But when I say unique lots, we're talking Rothschilds. We're talking um, a lot of Brunellos. So you're going to see a lot of Italian and French wines and Virginia Phillip will be there and introduce all the lots of wine. And it's just last year we were fortunate. We raised over $300,000 that was then matched by the Florida prepaid foundation to buy scholarships for our kids. So we hope that anyone that's interested will come out and join us for a wonderful evening of wine. That's incredible. You that you have a question? Yeah. Well, no, I'm going to post, you know, I'll post all the details I will be there. I'm gracious. I'm happy that I've been invited. Uh, well, there is a question that Melissa Graves has. Yeah. Is it a national organization or is it something specific to Florida? Great question. So Take Stock and Children is a statewide organization. There is a Take Stock affiliate in every county in the state of Florida. So we are working throughout the state of Florida um, with low-income kids. Every affiliate office is structured a little bit differently Here in Palm Beach County, we are our own 501c3. Um, But yes, great question. Um, And we are impacting the lives of thousands of kids across the state. But but it is only in Florida. Right. Because Melissa comes to us from North Carolina. So we have listeners around the Mm -hmm. country. Interesting that there's not an opportunity for that organization specifically. Do you have a national affiliate or do you have a national partnership with somebody where if there are people in other states that want to partake in something similar that you refer them to? Yes. Mentor is a great organization and I can connect with her afterwards and connect her with that organization so she can learn about different mentoring organizations in her state. Very awesome. So now that you're in the hot seat and everybody knows you, uh, Mark posted something this morning that was, that is very relevant. It's something that all leaders need to be paying attention to something I wanted to bring on the huddle yesterday, but was unable to because the content didn't match. But Shay, show me what Mark posted. Um, so the Mark, why don't you give some feedback? Yeah, sure. So, so this was a story that I found that I thought was very intriguing. And just to give everybody a be- very simple analysis or a simple summary, Mitchell Miller, who is an elite hockey prospect, is being denied the opportunity to play in the NHL due to a history of bullying as a child which peaked with a conviction at the age of 14. Now, backdrop to this story is there have been a few teams that have tried to bring him into the NHL, and he has been denied multiple times because of this history of him bullying a black child who had some disabilities. I think he may have been autistic, but they didn't mention the exact uh, disability that he had. But he had bullied this kid for 
time for an extended period of time as a child. And it peaked at the age of 14, where he was convicted mm. of an actual crime of bullying. And since then, he was, you know, mandated to apologize and he and he did a written apology, but he never really apologized to the family. He never really did anything above and beyond to recognize his behavior or to try to go out of his way to condemn it. And so now it's coming back to bite him consistently as he tries to become a professional hockey player. And he's very good, right? It's not like this guy is like an average. This guy's a a little hockey player that's being denied opportunity. Boston gave him a contract. The fan base went berserk. The other players didn't the captains on the it. team said, no, 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 we're not going to stand for this. This, this oh. is out. So the question today is, what responsibility do leaders have in this, you know, getting involved in this kind of situation? When I was a kid growing up, if two people fought, the teacher never really got inv- involved. It was just sort of figure it out. Maybe your parents got involved, but it was sort of like fight your own battles that's not possible anymore, man, because there's some real mean shit. So, Nancy, what are your thoughts? Wow. Yeah, you know, we are seeing increases in discipline. I was just recently principal for a day at a local high school here in Palm Beach County about two weeks ago. And I said to the principal, oh, it's nice and quiet this morning. He says, don't say that. And within two hours, there was a fight with seven kids. They had to pepper, use pepper spray. Before you know it, the ambulance is there and they're transporting a student to the hospital. And, you know, the kids are bringing all this to school and, and you're seeing this happen and it's, it's complicated, you know, and we need more mental health counselors in the schools to deal with, to deal with these situations. But, you know, I really think that that is the value of mentorship. And we've got to mentor kids. I mean, that's what we're doing here, right? You're mentoring people. We're all connecting. We're mentoring each other. But what are we doing for our kids? And I I think in a world where we have access to so much information and everybody has a voice, my, my, my point that I made in the conversation was that we all are responsible for the words that we use. And to me, Every child is a product of the people and the environment that are surrounding them. So even if they have a mentor, if they are surrounded by a certain amount of other kinds of people or other language, that's going to have an effect. And so I think it's our responsibility to be aware of the words that we choose privately, the words that we choose socially, the words that we choose politically, the words that we choose as a whole the way we choose to discuss things, if we are using words that are divisive, if we are using words that are, you know, antagonistic, that are blameful, then we're creating the culture that's a product of that. So if we choose to use words that have compassion, that have intrigue, that have, you know, um, ultimately some kind of agreement or, you know, some kind of some, what's the word that I'm looking for is companionship or some kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's. So so let me, let me interject. Sorry. I don't have the word for you, but I do want to bring this up. So a guy like that, who was a habitual bully, right? What do you think he acts like as an adult? 
Like mm. what happens when he gets in the locker room in that case, or what happens when he gets in the workforce, if it doesn't get stopped, if that behavior is tolerated and yes, he got, you know, finally got convicted, but that was like a slap on the wrist bullshit. Never ever said apology to their, the family's face. And so you can just imagine how bad it was for that kid, you know, how tortured he felt. These are the people that grow up and do worse shit as an adult. <laughs> so and and so this is so when I posted it this morning, and the majority of the comments coming back to me about it are that this is wrong because we're punishing an adult for something they did as a kid. Which and Lori asked the question, like, can people change? Of course, people can change, mm-hmm. but you have to show me that you've changed. There has to be evidence that you've changed in order for that to no longer hinder you from future opportunities. And so really the word that I was looking for is some kind of, you know, understanding of the other side. And it's the, hey, I want to compromise with you because bullying, there's no compromise in bullying. There's, I see it my way and anybody else who sees it any other way is wrong. And there's no compromise there. So if we want to create a culture that is more inclusive, and I know that everybody's you know buzzwords now are diversity, equity, and inclusion. If we want to create a, a, a an inclusive you know culture, we've got to be able to compromise. We've got to be able to have conversations and talk to people and understand. So so th- this whole thing about being responsible for creating a safe environment. Everybody's got to pay attention. Correct. Schools used to be safe. They're not. I think the pressure on young kids right now with social media and social status and all this other crap is really, really bad. Those kids get hurt. They become the responsibility of our culture when they don't grow and become productive human beings because they've been hurt. And so this is not going away. This is something that, you know, and for, you know, is it our responsibility to create a safe environment at work? You're a leader. Shouldn't like, my people feel safe to come to work? Nancy, you know? I would love for you to share, like, wh- where, where does this impact the how you mentor kids? Or where does Great this question. impact how you create this environment and teach these, you know, scenarios and what to do? So we're big on self-accountability. And when the kids come into our program, they and their parents sign an agreement with us. Maintain grades, meet with a mentor, remain Mm -hmm. crime and drug free. And one of the first things, we're very firm on self-accountability. And we hear all the time, you know, the teacher didn't do this or he called me a name. And we say, what was your role? Mm. And how do you address it? But, you know, it's got to come back earlier to... Are we holding our our kids accountable or as parents, are we constantly defending poor behavior? Yeah. You know, no one wants their kid to be it. And so a lot of times we just brush these things under the carpet and they fester later in life. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't want to be a teacher and deal with discipline in the school nowadays. You know, I was there for a day as a principal. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back to my office. Um, But, you know, that's one thing with our program is that when our kids have these little slip ups or behavior instances, we do hold them accountable. We'll go meet with the guidance counselor and the parent and, 
and make them realize that their behavior was out of line. I love it. That's um, that's the self-accountability piece. And, you know, it comes back to extreme ownership, which we talk about all the time, owning your individual responsibility in the things that happen around you. What, what a great way to cap that off, because I think you're spot on. Two mm -hmm. things. That's another great book, Nancy, Extreme Ownership. You would really like Jocko. Oh, yeah. Frisella, Jocko Willenick, uh, decorated Navy SEAL, was head of training, um, talks about the parallels between discipline in the Navy SEALs and discipline in life and in business. Phenomenal uh, uh, audible, too, because he does the book. But isn't it fascinating that a sport that endorses fighting? Sure. Uh, yeah. Kicks the guy out for being a bully. Uh, <laughs> yes. well, is, there's a bit it, of irony there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Nancy, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And to answer Zenia's question, how do we create this type of environment when most of our colleagues are remote? Two answers, visibility and video. And if you need, to, and if you need the how-to on how to do that, I'm happy to have that conversation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nancy, thank you for taking the time. I'm looking forward to next Saturday. Anybody in here that wants to wants the information on the on the event, it's going to be great. Great people, uh, great wine, and uh, all for a great cause. I'm going to pursue uh, the mentorship thing. It sounds awesome. I would love to have somebody that I'm individually responsible for. So uh, thank you again. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, and let's thank get you. Have a great, great day. Let's get out of business. Please don't worry about me. I'm about to let my heart speak. My friends keep telling me to leave this. So let's get down, let's get down to business. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Give you one more night, one more night.